Welcome to episode three of Dev Dive League of Legends. I'm here with my co-host, Riot Legend Larry, and today we're joined by Sonny Coda, aka Kindlejack, who's a concept artist at Riot Games. One of Sonny's latest projects was creating the concept art for Silas, League's newest champion. We're going to spend this episode talking about what it was like and also spend some time talking about what role a concept artist plays at Riot and what they do for champion design. So Sonny is right here and Larry is right here. If you guys want to talk about a little bit what you do. All right. Go ahead, Sonny. Do it. Hey, I'm Sonny, <laughs> a.k.a. Kindlejack. As I said, I do currently work at Riot Games as a concept artist. Um, my background has been in concept artists and like background art for animation. Uh, but that was largely because I lived in Australia and there isn't a lot of jobs out there in the games industry right now. Uh, I feel pretty lucky to have a job now and live in LA and be uh, like an honorary American for a while. Um, and yeah, my, my day-to-day stuff is just uh, designing champion and champion updates for League right now. Um, I am currently the art outsource manager for uh, the gameplay team uh, with League. And right now I'm transitioning out of that team though and into a different team. but. Uh, until that's all squared away, I won't get into the details. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, like, if you're the <laughs> the outsource manager for our team, well, then where's your desk? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went over there and it's just an empty space where Larry. <clears throat> yeah. So. Do you have a little like shrine said, to where Larry used to work? <laughs> have like a little picture of him. Put flowers on it. <clears throat> nah. <laughs> Little little speaker playing in the arms of the angel at all times. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? What's good? What are we here to do today? Okay, so something that a lot of people probably don't know, at least in from the consumer perspective, is um, what exactly does a concept artist do? So we know a champion when we see him come out, but we don't know really like what what goes into the process of making him. So can you explain really what a concept artist? artist is and what they do yeah yeah i mean it, it took me like 30 years to figure out what a concept artist is and uh <laughs> i don't know how deep you want me to go but i only have one mode so we're going we're going deep on this let's but go deep yes. this is a dive. especially like i'm from a time before the internet and mobile phones and shit like that that the people today i don't think can't even understand what it was like it may as well be describing like world war ii or something but um I I knew that I loved video games. I loved Mario and I loved Sonic and I loved drawing pictures of Mario and Sonic. I used to trace pictures out of the Mario 2 manual, I think, the Doki Doki Panic one. Um, and I was like, I love video games. But yeah, my parents were like, that's that's not a job. Video games ain't a job. I'm like, well, someone has to make them. And it's like, yeah, but who, why, when, how, where? Nobody knows the answer to these questions. And I remember when I was in high school, we had someone come who was like just making, they were doing like a graphic design degree and they had a print that had like Mario on a t-shirt. And I was like, oh, are you, are you, do you make the video games? And they're like, no, no. And I was like, well, at least that's like a step closer. So I was pretty interested in graphic design because that was the only thing that they had in like the job description manual that's provided by the government that says, these are all the jobs that you can do. Like they literally have like a book that says, these are the things that you can be when you grow up and you have to just find the one that looks the most interesting and then say, uh, I guess that one. Um, unfortunately, yeah, my, my parents weren't really interested in the idea of me like risking it all on graphic design or something like that. And uh, so for a long time, I was focused on like, uh science i did psychology and stuff like that but i always liked drawing and i always really loved video games <laughs> so sorry this is gonna go on for a little while um yeah, it's good context it wasn't until i think when i was in high school went to see the phantom menace the new star wars movies and at the time that was like and I don't think any movie launch has ever been as big as The Phantom Menace was. Like <laughs> the idea that Star Wars was coming back, and this was in a time before reboots and and like ten year sequels and a lot of stuff that's much more common in the industry now. And there was I remember like on the, the news did like a special report on, <laughs> on the return of Star Wars, and they had like all the presenters from the news kind of be like, you know, 
uh, a phenomenon that lasted a generation is now returning to the silver screen and all this stuff that was kind of weird because I think it was like the first time they'd been like a, kind of a nerdy nerdy idea of like the Star Wars fans was kind of hitting the mainstream and when you go to the shopping center there's just everything was Star Wars everywhere uh, and that was exciting and I bought a book that was about the production and in it the one line they said artist Doug Chang helped design the worlds and brought to life, you know, the visuals for Star Wars Episode One. And I just I saw that concept artist Doug Chang, and I was like, it felt like there was some there was some magic code. And so I, I went to the library and I typed in the thing like, you know, concept artist. Nothing comes up. Doug Chang. Nothing comes up. Okay, cool. Um, and it was like, still then, I, I would ask people, they would they would come to the school and be like, so you can be an architect or you can be like a draftsman or you can create advertising posters. And be like, do you know what a concept artist is? And they'd be like, that's not a thing. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just on my list here, architect thing. And, and then I'd say, do you know who Doug Chang is? Like, I, I think he's an American. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's... It's hard to imagine now when you just type it into Google and five seconds later, you know everything about being a concept artist and who Doug Chang is. But at the time, it was like it became kind of a mantra for me of like trying to figure out like, I, th I think what I want to do is be a concept artist. And I think I want to be like this Doug Chang guy uh, and, and kind of design droids and lightsabers and spaceships and things because he did it. So I know it's a thing, um, but it wasn't. Until much later that I was able to actually like, you know, the internet sort of came out and <laughs> made it to Australia and it was a cool thing and you could go on some websites and start to learn about that stuff. But even still, there wasn't like ArtStation or um, was like CG.org and stuff like that, not even DeviantArt. There wasn't sites yet where people were sharing their artwork or saying, I'm a professional concept artist or I'm a freelance concept artist or um, I work on these things. It was still like, my Nintendo Power magazine that had just two pictures down the bottom that was like, oh, here's some production art from game development instead of just screenshots of the game. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really, really difficult to find out what a concept artist is. So now I'm very glad to be able to share with you all <laughs> what a concept artist actually is. Because, um, yeah, that's the whole point of doing this, right? So basically, during uh, specifically for video game industry, uh, concept artist is in the most succinct term I can come up with. There's somebody that takes an idea and figures out a way to visually communicate it uh, to a team. So usually it's when you go from words on a page to a visual idea. And what you're generally trying to do, it's all problem solving which I like to talk about. And I think it was featured in those really cool set of Riot informational videos that were put out recently by our ArtOps team that kind of explained what each of the roles do. And there was one about concept artist and uh, John Buren on there. He, um, he pointed out like concept art is not about painting a pretty picture. Okay? Concept art is about solving problems through visual communication and storytelling. So yeah, that's it's kind of you end up being at the head of the pipeline a lot of the time. Uh, oftentimes, freelance concept artists will work on ideas before the game is even figured out. They can be very useful to help teams find funding for projects. Like, just say you want to make an indie game, uh, often you'd have a concept artist come on very early and work with a game designer, and they'd just be like, you know, maybe the world could look like this, and maybe the character could look like this. And a lot of time, it's a lot of maybes too, where it's you're you're not really nailing it in one go and just drawing a picture and being like this is the main character and this is the world and stuff like that you're you're kind of just sketching out roughly trying to figure out what direction you're going to go and it's a lot of kind of trial and error it's interesting because i originally studied science and psychology and uh, chemistry physics and stuff and all of that comes in handy with uh painting and rendering and understanding how light works but it also helps with that iterative process that idea of like you start with the theory of i think this is a good design or i think that these kind of you know this clothing will work or this kind of character will work and then you start to refine it and refine it and you test it and it fails and then you change it and you test it again and it fails again um, and you do it as fast as possible which is i think a strength that a concept artist has over other disciplines such as an illustrator when you look at people who 
yeah, like a splash artist that focus on just creating one beautiful image that takes a long time and you really have to know from the beginning what the end product is going to look like. Whereas a concept artist, when you start, you have no idea where it's going to go. I'm going to take a break <laughs> from talking your ear off. <laughs> okay. That was uh, a long sentence. So if, but, if um, um, that's basically it. I'm not sure if uh, this is disclosable, but how much information would you say that you start with? When you, because you mentioned you, you try you, a concept artist changes words into images. Like, how much information are we talking about? Are we talking about one definitive sentence? Where, like, for Silas, for example, anti mage who was shackled um, uses chains as a weapon. Or are you talking about like pages upon pages of of ideas, and you just kind of sketch them out? I think we're talking about even less than that. Um, in general, like. You're sitting there, and there's a blank page, and and you've got zero, <laughs> nothing. So um, you started and... you started Silas from nothing, like from no. How, how did well, how did that go about? Yeah, yeah. Let's get specific about Silas because that's what I'm I'm here to kind of talk about, and I'm super excited because he just came out the other day, and I can't wait for everyone to enjoy playing him, uh, and then proud of the team. That's another thing that I will probably hop on about a bit is that, like, honestly, if I had been the only concept artist that worked on Silas, if it had just been kind of me, like, as a freelancer or, or I was the one who was just working in a vacuum, it wouldn't have nearly been as good as it is. Um, we have a, a team and one person will kind of, like, steer the ship, but you have your, your whole team of your discipline, concept artists, illustrators, everyone supporting you to help you kind of, like, guide that that ship so when i say i was a concept artist on silas and all the stuff i'm going to talk about uh I, I would like to say with the caveat that there's a ton of people involved you know including larry and everyone else that that help kind of shepherd that vision and make it what it is it's not like just one person and definitely i wouldn't want people to get the idea that like i kind of just came in one day and was like here is the concept for silas like it, it was a pretty arduous process in fact it was probably like the longest champion development that we've had in, in recent times because it began when I was still on the skins team and I was talking to the product owner for champions team about uh, transitioning over and helping out them out with future projects. Cause there was a lot of uh, people rotating around positions at the time. And I said, I asked him if I was going to join the team, kind of what would my first assignment be? What would I be working on? Cause I wanted to kind of get an idea if it was something that I was going to be able to do or was excited about doing. And he said, yeah, we're looking at a, doing a top laner that uh, that is kind of like more of a acute champion because top lane is currently full of like big burly characters and we want something that's a little bit different and probably be more of a defensive mage archetype. <laughs> and then uh, a year later, we ended up with Silas, who is not the big things. burly. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's what I mean when I say you really don't know where it's going to end up is like, our initials outline was, yeah, you're, you're going to be working with a designer. We don't know who yet. You're going to be working with a writer. We don't know who yet. Maybe, you know, maybe this person, maybe that person. And uh, we think that this is the kind of the space that we want for a champion because we haven't done a top laner in a while. And when we look at all our top laners, we did some market research. You know, we, we, looked, we talked to our players and we looked at the data and we were like, you know what? A lot of people avoid top lane because it's got this very, like, one we one we bro mentality and uh, all the champions that we make there. I guess we do it subconsciously because we think about them being really tough and independent. All the characters kind of are that big, burly, monstrous. Like even the female characters, like Ilawi, Fiora, Poppy, they've they've all kind of got like a pretty tough exterior. We don't have any characters like you know Nami or uh, Lulu or even someone like uh, Ari in the top lane. So that was the initial hypothesis, but. Obviously, it didn't it didn't work out that way at all. Yeah, uh, we have Timo to up in the top lane. He's kind of a. <laughs> that, that's true. That's definitely true. That and and true. I think um yeah early early on what we were kind of talking about is like uh like something like a female teamer like a, a character that was like a, a little cutie that played a bit more defensively and frustrated your opponents <laughs> rather than someone that just wanted to go in and ignite and blow all their cooldowns and get the yeah. kill and then get ganked by the jungler forever extending and then have their team question mark ping them <laughs> uh, to to jump in and and uh i guess ask a, a bit of a clarifying question silas is a drew champion um that had uh gone through a full development cycle um 
how does that differ from a champion update? What like does it start off the same, or are you, you know, do you have more information uh, to start <laughs> off with? Like, I think you're better suited to answer that question. <laughs> well, I think Sunny, you, you've I... had more experience on the team than I have when it comes to stuff like uh, champion updates. I, I haven't actually like worked on a, a champion update fully myself yet. Uh, I guess I, I guess I mean from the from the concept, like from because I know I know you are working on a champion update. I won't say which one, but <laughs> you are working on a champion update. Um, has it like comparing your experience between uh, Stylus being a brand new champion um, versus the update that you're working on? What what are the big differences between the 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 the, the what do you call it, the process so far? Sure. Well, I'm. I'm working on the Mordekaiser update, and I know I can say that because Ryan already announced, announced that we're doing it. the Mordekaiser yeah. update. Yeah, that, that video yeah, came out yesterday. The vlog the other day, and then um, the Spider okay, wait, did, wait, his, wait. did his homework. Yes, Sunny. I'm just I'm gonna let everyone know. Fucking metal. Oh my god, guys, <laughs> it's so cool. All right, just from the fan gamer, like, oh, it's gonna be good. I'm I'm hoping everyone uh I'm hoping everyone will like it. But yeah, I'm I'm hoping that it's acceptable. You know. It's, I really, <laughs> I don't ever want to hype people up or overhype hey, something that we're working Sonny, on because I'd I think you can were... safely say whatever because anything will be better than current Mordekaiser. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay, anything. So that's I think, I, I think with that you've helped me kind of touch on the the thing that is different about doing an update versus a new champion. With a new champion, there's no current expectations from players about what it's going to be. Aside from the little bit of teasing that we do before we actually kind of do the full reveal, um, it could be anything. And there isn't a player base for it yet. There aren't diehard fans. There's nothing that they're hoping will be retained or kept. It's kind of like, it, it's a tabula rasa kind of thing. And for most people, I think when they see a new champion, it's like they either love it or they're they're not upset that, it's, that it exists, right? It's just, oh, that's not for me. Uh, I hope the next one will be. Whereas when you're doing a champion update, uh, you have a hardcore diehard player base already that are like, we don't want you to change any of the things we like, which is usually everything. And then you have like a lot of people who are like, I wish you would just completely table flip this character because currently I don't like anything about it. Um, so you actually, you kind of start off with the goalposts move back a bit with a champion update. And then the success is kind of measured on a different axis as well because if a new champion is picked up by some people that develops a player base or there's things about it that fulfills a strategically diverse niche and it has a reason to exist in that role we're like okay we didn't have a jungler that does this and now we do um that's good whereas a champion update it's like it it already was filling i like theoretically filling a, a niche and it had a, a kind of identity and now you're changing that and there's actually a risk to end up in a worse place than you were before you updated it. Obviously with all the champions, the risk is lower. Like we look at stuff like Galio and Nunu and they're basically unplayed champions that don't have any sort of like strategic niche outside of, you know, Disco Nunu. And um, so it's, it's kind of, those ones are easier, but I, I would posit that some of the other ones that we do um, are a little more challenging, like Morgana coming up, right? Is like there's a big risk there because uh, she's already a popular character that we would do something that would have impact that negatively. Uh, so that's something we have to keep in mind. All right, that's, like that it. was pretty good. Um, let me let me go back and, like Larry said, ask a little bit of a uh, a clarifying question. So, um. Starting from from scratch, not not an update. What um what sort of info were you working with when you were creating um concept art for Silas? Were you like were you starting from a blank page, or were you working off of other people's work, or what type of sort of stuff were you doing? Yeah, so so Silas is the first project because I worked on Zoe a little bit, but that was really she was we already had visuals that were pretty close to her final. And it was just like polish them up, do the orthographic views so that the character artists can translate them and kind of just shepherd the vision to the finish line, um, which is like, you know, giving feedback on uh, animation and VFX and audio and everything and kind of like making sure that, that all that stuff feels cohesive. But with Silas, I did get, it's the first champion I worked on from the very beginning where it is nothing 
but a twinkle in someone's eye and then going all the way to actually being a champion that is now live on servers ruining people's ranked games. Um, <laughs> like I said, when we started the project, which was after Zoe at the end of, at the end of 2017, we were kind of trending in a very different direction. We were, we were kind of making a different champion. Uh, and it wasn't until, I remember it was like late February that Blake, as the the game designer, he kind of came back and he was like, he tried a bunch of different things, which I'm not going to go into because we'll probably come back to them on future champions. But um, he he came back and he was like, guys, I'm going to do it. I'm going to I'm gonna break the glass. I'm going to go for the Holy Grail. We're going to try to make a character that copies enemy ultimates. And we were like, oh... <laughs> <laughs> holy oh, shit no. <laughs> like it's something that yeah. gets talked about a lot but um it, it always kind of led to well we could never do this because spaghetti code you know like the, the older it would require us to go back and change or fix up so many different ultimates and we have 140 champions in the game and then what would it mean for the future because it would have to be designed in a way that there wouldn't be every time you make a new champion you'd have to go back and update silas because we try to avoid doing any sort of legacy stuff like that um and yeah we we kind of talked about it and um you know he, he had a conversation with all of the game designers and the engineers and with uh, the product owners and everything and uh, explained why he thought it was a good idea and wanted to do it. And they all made a decision together to support that and be like, you know what? We got to do it sometime, right? <laughs> so let's let's do it now. Let's tackle it. And and because they were going to take on that, we actually like planned a longer development cycle than we normally do for a champion. And uh, we had a team of dedicated engineers, which normally it's just one engineer on a champion, had a team of dedicated engineers just to focus on making that mechanic work. And uh, we started, Blake got something rough in very quickly, actually, which was pretty clever. It was just like, hey, when you press R on an enemy, you just become that character um, when it comes to your R and you just use their R. But then you couldn't use any of the other abilities at the time. So it was just an ultimate that we were testing. But uh, even even testing that, kind of gave us a good start and as i said in the ama the other day like everything about silas as a character was built from that starting point of that ultimate yeah um one of our guests last week actually uh was a integral part of that structure restructuring of the code i was reading through your ama um earlier today and i was talking to i didn't talk too much to jeff but i, I saw a lot of jeff's tweets on Twitter and he was talking about how he um was working on re-scripting all of these alts and he was making sort of a contest out of which one was the hardest and which one was the easiest to do and he had he had people guess on Twitter um which champion uh had the most issues and which one had the least and I thought that was really funny so yeah. I know he was a a big part of that process <laughs> Yeah, when when he had told me about it and the other engineers, it, it would always surprise me which champions ended up being a headache because it was mm -hmm. sometimes you'd be like, oh, that one should be pretty straightforward, and then there's always some really <laughs> crazy thing that you wouldn't think of that just ruined yeah. the entire functionality of it. Fortunately, as a concept artist, I did not have to worry about any of that. <laughs> I just tried to support them. I, I made a bunch of dank Silas memes to kind of keep their spirits high, <laughs> yeah, and appreciated the work that they did. But on my end, it was. Team, yeah. But on my end, it was more about okay. So we have this ultimate that copies other people's ults uh, as a starting point, and already, I think that's pretty challenging for visually, like for visual storytelling. It's like, how do you find a visual metaphor for copying opponents' ultimates? So if you if you stole ultimates, I think we could go with more of like a thief motif because that would kind of make sense, like a, a magic thief, like a thief mage. But he wasn't stealing them, he was copying them. And at the time, we already have LeBlanc being like the master of illusion, and we had Nico in development as a character that would uh, mimic enemies, like a chameleon. And uh, they, yeah, I was, I was kind of like, you know what, The I feel like the most obvious thing would be a mage that was associated with mirrors, but that sounds like LeBlanc to me. Yeah. Um, and then 
I pitched this idea. So I, I don't, I haven't really played Dota 2 very much, but I pitched this idea of this grand mage that had learned every spell in the, in the role of Runeterra or something and like to show off by showing like, you know, he could show off by copying anyone's uh, techniques or abilities and be like, anything you can do, I can do better. And then, uh, yeah, my, the PO was like, that's Rubik from Dota. And so I went and I read who Rubik was and I read his backstory and I was like, okay, so already we've got some cool creative constraints. We have to visually communicate an alt that copies other people's alts, does not steal them, and has a different <laughs> is a different character to Rubik um, and has their own identity. And um, and I tried to rapidly kind of just sketch out a bunch of sort of images that sort of captured personalities and visual hooks for um, for what that could be. And uh, in in the future, I'm sure I'll be able to share more of the concept art um, a little down the line for Silas. But definitely, there were some some ideas that I had that were didn't quite hit the mark or kind of cheesy. Like I thought there could be like a, a dude from Piltover who was sort of like the collector from Marvel Universe that you know went went round Rune Terror, kind of capturing pieces of people's spirits uh, and and keeping them in his cage. And so he was like this kind of austere looking guy with like a little mustache and bowler hat and a big magical cage. And he would like, you know, capture a little bit of your essence in the cage and then open the door to release it to cast your ultimate. Uh, and there's a couple of other ideas around that area. I, uh, what we what I ended up pitching that people are interested in was kind of like this Houdini S character that um, like to escape from situations and. It's kind of like a maverick, you know, like a kind of a roguish character, a little bit like Twisted Fate. With 140 characters, when you're trying to pitch ideas, people are always like, "Oh, we already have that," you know, "We already have that." That's this guy, or that's that guy, um, and and we're like, "Yeah, but they don't really capture it in the game the way you would want them to." But they're occupying that thematic space, so ideally, we should update them. But for right now, like, is there enough opportunity to do a different champion that has a similar kind of? function or, or theme you know, it's always a question but yeah i had this kind of houdini guy and i just threw some shackles on his arms to show that he, he was an escape artist and i thought that was kind of a cool character because i really felt like when i use this ultimate it reminded me of being a johnny player in magic the gathering uh, and for those of you unfamiliar with Magic or the different kinds of players, basically Magic's existed for 25 years and they've had a lot of time to kind of refine their concepts and philosophy around game design. And they have this idea that there are three main types of players and there's some sec secondary ones too, like Blothos and stuff. But there are three main types of players that play Magic. One is Spike. He's the competitive player and he wants to win at all costs. Doesn't matter which cards he plays, he'll just play the best, most efficient cards. He's not interested in the story so much, he just wants to, to win. He's a competitive player. Then you have the Timmy, who's at the other end of the spectrum, and they just want to have fun. You know, they want to summon the biggest creature. You know, that, that's the kind of thing that like, um, oh, how big can we make Silas in this ridiculous situation? And it's like, it's about the fantasy of like, what's the craziest, most outrageous thing I could do? And they tend to like you know, it's not about the mechanics so much or the cost efficiency. It's just about like making a big splash or a big statement in a big way. I feel like Larry kind of falls into a bit where he likes to play brand a lot. And it's like, I just want to watch the world burn. Like, wouldn't it be cool if I just got a pentakill and blew everybody up in a huge nuclear blast? I mean, you're uh, not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Johnny players. And Johnny players are about self-expression. And I think I kind of fall into that area where it's like, I don't even necessarily want to win the game. I want to make a point of, and I want to express myself. It's a very kind of artsy thing to do. And a lot of time in Magic, it's about like combo decks. And I would make these ridiculous decks where it's like, I wouldn't necessarily win the game, but we would like switch. You'd play my library, I'd play your library, and I draw from your library, but I have this card that removes my library from the game. And now you can't draw cards anymore. And I'm like, haha, I did it. And if I get it one in 10 games, I feel really good. And I thought that this ultimate ability really, it felt like a Johnny player to me because I'm like, there's going to be a lot of time where you end up with egg on your face where you're like, I'm going to take that Jenna ult and I'm going to flash Jenna ult into the middle of their team and push their front line into our, our like, I don't know, push their 80 carries out of range and we're going to totally win this fight. And I'm going to, I'm going to show Jenna how to play her champion at a highest level. 
<laughs> and it's like, hey, you might not win that game, and and nine times out of ten, you're gonna screw it up and get like you get hate from your team. But when you get it right, you're gonna feel so good. You're gonna be like in your face. I remember this one early play test against Malzahar where I hit level six before he did, and then I used his ult to kill him. And and he was like, this is the worst feeling I've ever had in League of Legends. <laughs> um, and I was like, this is the the best feeling ever <laughs> in League of Legends. And I know that there's some controversy about around designing, around like what feels good for your opponents to play against rather than to play as. Um, but that that definitely encouraged me to pursue the idea of him being a villain. I was like, this is a mean thing to do. Like you take this poor Sona player's ultimate and then you stun their AD carry with it. And as they watch their AD carry die, all they can think is, if I hadn't picked Sona, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> that sounds like a bad oh, man, guy. That's brutal. Yeah, so so I kind of had these two ideas. One was a villain, and one is like appeals to Johnny players. So I came up with this Houdini esque guy who is like very arrogant, thinks he's better than everyone else, um, wants to prove it to the world, wants to show everybody how great he is. So it's kind of a charismatic character um, who wants to go out and like kind of take everybody's tricks and do them better than they do. And he's going to do that by escaping from different prisons around Rune Terra to show that like no cell can hold him. And then as we were talking about that idea and kind of like there's something interesting there. It was a little bit of like Joker from Persona 5, sort of maverick, thief-esque stuff. Um, we were talking about, well, if you're a mage and you want to prove to everyone that you're the greatest escape artist of all time, then you would go to Demacia because they hate mages and they have these petrocyte prisons that you cannot escape from because your magic gets countered. And then we had the idea of like, wait, what if he went there? because he's so arrogant and he's like you know lock me up i'll escape within the week and then he couldn't and he ended up actually being stuck there for 15 years or something <laughs> and he kind of like lost his mind in the dark and now he's like broken out and he's like a, a raving like maniac or something and uh my team were like no that's not quite <laughs> not quite right but fortunately we have amazing writers uh, Rayla and John were working on it and they're also working closely with other teams who are developing uh, kind of the lore and the factions in the world and they they kind of came back with the idea that actually this was a Demacian and he was incarcerated at a younger age for being a magic user and now he was breaking out and kind of getting his revenge on the people that incarcerated him so that was pretty cool and there's this uh developmental work that was done by our world building team with these mage seeker characters which they look very dramatic they have these like half opera mask and these capes and i was like oh these guys are really cool and uh i had previously kind of tried to pitch that we make one of those a champion because i thought it would be a good villain for demacia but then we started to develop this idea of like well what if the mage seekers came and they locked up this young guy who was a very talented magic user and then now he's breaking out of that prison and um, he's kind of like on the rampage. And so that was all really cool. And that was like a good kind of like personality that we had developed. But I think on the visual side, I was still like unsure how to depict this all copying ability. It was still kind of tricky. And, uh, and that's when we hit on the idea of the petrocyte, which we had introduced with Galio being kind of like a key element and a linchpin to the entire sort of story. And I pitched this idea that like, hey, the reason I like chains as an idea, as a metaphor for this character is that he is taking this thing that was used to incarcerate and oppress him and now using it as a weapon against his oppressors. So like the the symbols of his bondage become the tools of his liberation. And I thought that that was a pretty cool metaphor when you think about it for taking the enemy's ultimates that they're using to try to kill you and using it to kill them instead. And so, yeah, we, we talked about the petrocyte absorbing magic and releasing it, which we had set up with Galio's story. And we added that to the character and we started to quickly have uh, like something that was feeling really good. So that's how we went from an ultimate to a pretty good direction of where we wanted to go. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good example of um, a term that I'm not sure if it's the perfect use here, but top-down design, where you have a, an idea and you're working down from there. Um, would you say that's an accurate way to use that? I think when you talk about top-down design, traditionally, uh, top-down design is from, yeah, like the kind of the holistic concept down into the mechanics. Um, and this was kind of like 
focusing on the mechanic and building around that. But it wasn't bottom-up design because it wasn't like flavoring and theming a mechanic to to work in the game. It was sort of like we had one mechanic, which isn't an entire you know character's abilities and everything. And we thought this is like kind of the the core of the character is, and how can we express that uh, with the visuals and the narrative, and then figure out how the rest of the gameplay is going to come from from that. So it was mm-hmm. like bottom up to top down <laughs> design. So kind of we like we middle out design. <laughs> 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 yeah. So we started with like the key mechanic, built the narrative and the art to support the key mechanic. And then built the rest of the gameplay and mechanics to support the narrative and like inspired by the narrative and the art. You know, that's why like Blake had a number of different Q abilities, but once we kind of hit on the chains as a weapon, that's when he came back with this idea that of the X for his Q, where the chains cross and the, the point that they cross is where the magic explosion happens because his shackles are charged with magical power and we think of it kind of like electricity, and it's like if you cross the wires, then there's like an explosion where the wires cross. Like Ghostbusters, um, <laughs> yeah. Don't cross the streams, <laughs> right? To uh, to kind of hit on that point, uh, visual design is one aspect of of concept art, um, and a lot of times I, you made reference to a lot of, or you <laughs> it's, you you spoke of references. Um, what kind of references do you generally look for when starting on a new character or a new champion idea? I think there's kind of three different axes. Um, that I look at, and as I said, that I can only think of two, so I'm like, I'm going to think of a third one before I get to the end of this. <laughs> the first one is, like, our game with 140 characters already is a great creative constraint when you're looking at archetypes that are missing. Um, because when you're trying to create an original roster, all the archetypes are missing. You don't have anything, right? You don't have your Ken or your Ryu or your Sagat or your Chun-Li. But uh, over the years, it's like, do we need a vampire in league? No, we've got a vampire in league. Do we need a, a werewolf? No, we've got a werewolf. You know, a lot of the thematic tropes that people look for in characters they already exist in our game. So we kind of have a good idea of the ones that we haven't done yet. And obviously, I don't want to call them out because they probably end up being new champions in the future. But right kind of it's a process of elimination we can kind of look at all right what is in popular culture right now like what what kind of archetypes are really hot and appealing and which ones are we missing in the game um so you're saying there's gonna be a Fortnite champion coming up (laughs) (laughs) well i mean even in Fortnite, i'm sure they do the same thing where they're looking at okay like what kind of characters do we have available what's missing from our lineup you know um, in Overwatch, for example, it's like they've got two Australian characters. One of them's like a big fat guy, and one's like a skinny little mean dude. Um, they don't have a Australian, a female Australian champion that kind of like embodies some of those ideals. I know I, I'm from Australia, so I'm focusing on that. You know, probably we're already probably overrepresented in League <laughs> uh, in, in Overwatch. Sorry, but you can see like when they when they make a character like Sombra, they're definitely thinking like, you know, how's our representation of those kind of people um and do we have you know do we have a hacker in our game yet well we kind of got lucio but not really so there's a space there there's an opportunity like do we have a hacker in league like i don't know i think in a way zoe is sort of <laughs> that's why for the launch skin we went with the the hacker theme for her because we feel like in terms of characters she kind of fills that space uh at an abstract level um, yeah, I and think then we try to. When I would think of hacking, I'd think of somebody who can lock down or like inhibit a um, an enemy champion for a long period of time. And I guess the the sleepy trouble bubble kind of has that. I'd think more of like yeah. a silence, though. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking too much on the sombra terms. But I'd think of well, like... I mean, I think most league players focus on mechanics, which <laughs> is fair enough. Um, the reason that we have a writer, an artist, and a game designer working on a champion from the beginning is because we all think very differently. Like, you know, I, I think about their personality and I think about their visual design and, and stuff like that. And I, I think less about the mechanics than the game designer will be thinking about how do I mechanically represent this stuff. So, yeah, maybe like Zoe's not a, a thematic hacker in terms of her gameplay, but I think in terms of her like visual archetype, perhaps more so. 
Uh, yeah, it's definitely. Not, I, think you, I think you're right. I think somebody from my perspective who plays a lot of the game would probably think more about like how the champion actually works. But from a from a thematic perspective, I think you guys did a great job with that that skin, the cyber pop skin. It's one of the better uh, release skins we've seen. Yeah, so I'm kind of like hopping on about it a bit, but yeah, it's it's like the one of the key things is kind of looking at what's missing from leak. What do players actually want that we don't already have? You know, what's that flavor of ice cream that everyone keeps asking for that the store doesn't have in stock right now? We should probably get some of that. Uh, and then the another axis that I look at when I'm doing research is kind of like uh, based on the rough outline that we have. Even if it's just like we want to play, we want a defensive top laner that is cute, right? I'll, I'll go and I'll look at like. All right, well, you know, what what is in the the public zeitgeist in terms of cute stuff right now like anime, movies, TV shows, video games, uh music, you know, what 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 is the general population's idea of what that is? And is it something that we already have or is there something we're missing there? You know, I think I think KDA is an interesting example of that where it's like it's looking at modern culture and what people are interested in and then finding a way to apply that to what we're making. Yeah, KDA so, was definitely a, a breakout success that that was unprecedented levels of um, popularity, I think. Yeah, and I think that's largely because the music kind of, you mm -hmm. don't have to play the game to enjoy it. Um, we had similar success with DJ Sona and and the songs that came with her. And I, I think it's that really video games, even though they might be like one of the biggest pastimes of the human race right now, are still not mainstream in a way that they're not necessarily immediately accessible to everyone. Especially things like League of Legends can be like this huge game. And yet still, you know, my, my brother and sister couldn't care less about it. Like they play a lot of games like Mario Kart and stuff. They're easy to pick up and play. League has never been that. It's it's definitely a hobby. Uh, and a commitment whereas music anyone can enjoy music well as long as you can hear yeah i think um i think the type of game that league is is always going to have a high not a high barrier to entry necessarily but it's going to be higher than a, a similar game like you said mario kart or even single player games just because of multiplayer games in general you can't gate people like you can make an AI dumber or smarter to make the game easier or harder in a single player game, but you can't do that to people. So people are always going to try to beat other people. And, and in a multiplayer game, you want to win half the time or you want your players to win <laughs> half the time. So yeah. it's, it's going to be a different experience than, than um, yeah, these yeah. other games. So, so that's why it's probably not as successful as... Like uh, music or something because music you can just sit down and listen to anyone can listen to music yeah yeah it's innately enjoyable and uh i think i think actually i'm looking forward to our comics and other lore offerings and stuff like that because i think that is even even though like you know not everybody reads comics it's it's immediately accessible uh whereas yeah league's game is, is always pretty tricky yeah um, but that's kind of the second axis of the the research, and I, I think if you're interested in being a concept artist, you do really need to know not just like what's hot right now, but also have a legacy of information about like what have been previous trends, um, what things you know were appealing in different time periods, and why, and then also not just be able to imitate and copy what's cool right now, but actually like set the next trends you, you really need to be able to like think about the the kind of I, I guess the psychology behind like why these things are really appealing and think about well what's going to come next and how can how can we get ahead of that because if you want to be an asset for a big games company they're not necessarily looking to copy what everyone else is doing and and chase that like the aspiration should be you want to set the next thing that everybody's going to be copying a year from now and then be on top of that. So would you say that we we specifically where would you say that you draw a lot of your um inspiration from? Like you say you have to be plugged in with with past trends, current trends and sort of a 
a future trend? Um, how would you say that you personally do yeah, that? Yeah, well, you... I, I think um, you need to be where our players are. So if if our players are watching anime, you need to be watching anime. If if our players are seeing films, you need to be seeing films. And you know, with a hundred million players, they're like doing a lot. So you need to be keeping <laughs> on top of a lot of things. Like yeah. you need to be on Twitch, you need to be on Tumblr, you need to be looking at ArtStation, you need to be playing all the latest games that are coming out. Like I, I don't necessarily enjoy mobile games on my phone that much because I don't have a lot of transport time, but um I need to be aware of what they're doing and i need to be on top of that stuff and fake granddaughter and all that because that's what our players are are engaging with <laughs> um and and then that's good because you need to know kind of what they're interested in and stuff but then to go that extra step you also need to be like bringing bringing your experiences from the past because i think there's definitely like a generational thing with with uh art and in all its forms, in, in music and, and t- television and cinema and everything, games, we're taking things from our childhood and the things that really affected us in life, and we are sharing that with a, n- a new generation. Because um, when I look back, <laughs> I like to watch a lot of 80s movies that bring me a lot of nostalgia from when I was a kid. But if you look at those films, the people that made those films were inspired by films from the generation before that. And the people who made that was from the generation before that. And it's the same with music. You know, like our Madonna is the next generation's Lady Gaga. And the next generation after that, I'm sure they already have somebody who's who's like the next kind of iteration of of that similar style. Cardi but B. It's yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's new to them. And then it's easy to lose perspective on that when you're in a studio full of really talented people who are saturated in the gaming industry and they're like oh like for example olaf right he's a generic ass viking um and to us that feels like oh we need to do something about that because it's just it doesn't have any identity it's kind of like derivative but for someone who's 12 and they play league of legends for the first time and there's this guy with horns and a big bushy beard that might be the first viking like representation of a viking berserker that they've ever seen and for them like that's really exciting and cool and maybe one day they'll be in their mid-30s and they'll be like designing a cool viking barbarian character for the next generation of games and then for the next 12 year olds (laughs) league two legends yeah yeah so so i think um yeah, I think you you need to like have that past and those life experiences and bring that to what you're doing, and always be very humble around like your audience and and the people that you're you're serving. Uh, and and then there's like a little bit of like a little bit of insanity I think sprinkled in there because I, there are definitely <laughs> people amongst the industry who are these visionaries. And every time you see the stuff they're doing, you're like, where did this even come from? Like this is so fresh and so crazy. Like. I think um, Nerzan comes to mind, who's a, an artist that, like, he just paints in these, like, very big volumetric shapes and all these characters. They almost look like living Lego people or something. And it's, it's really it's really wild. And I think you don't necessarily want to translate that, like, take that and just drop that in League of Legends. But there's probably something there that's really interesting um, that you can kind of break down and learn from uh, in order to make sure that the stuff that you're you're developing and is kind of constantly pushing that that boundary instead of just copying um, and trying to keep up with what other people are doing. You need to be able to step ahead of of what they're even thinking about doing. Um, and, so, and you know, you get it right when you when you drop something and people are just like, "That seems so obvious now that I've seen it. Why aren't we doing that?" Um, <laughs> that feels really good, or or it feels really bad when you see someone else do it and you're like, "Oh, oh that's, of course, that's such a good idea. Why didn't we?" put two and two together so one of the questions i did have written down was was talking about what are the three most important skills for a concept artist and i think you touched on i think all three um talking about being in touch with with your audience who you're going for a little bit of insanity um and then understanding how do i want to phrase it like basically understanding the 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 trends of of the the age or the the project that you're working in um what about 
artistic ability. So touching more on that, when when someone says, I want to be a concept artist, um, and you look at their portfolio, what are you looking for? Or what do you think um, really good, successful concept artists share in terms of craft skill? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm at a point, I'm lucky enough to be at a point where I get to really focus a lot on the philosophical and, and, and like the really high level, like how do I become even better kind of stuff. Um, there's a big barrier at the beginning of just like, you need to be very good with your fundamental skills. Um, and, and when I'm interviewing people or when I'm talking to people who really want to get into the industry, I want to be a concept artist, um, that's where you have to begin before you can get excited about um, <laughs> all, all this kind of cool stuff that comes. It's like, first, you got to eat your vegetables, which is, um, yeah, in terms of craft, you need to be able to work very quickly and, and you need to be able to communicate really clearly. And and it's something that I struggle with with all the time and i feel like oftentimes when i'm starting on a new piece it feels like i'm learning to walk all over again or sometimes i'm feeling good about it and it kind of works out um mm -hmm. but and, and also knowing what you actually need to achieve in order to communicate your idea and i find generally if you have to explain it to someone then you haven't actually done a good job of communicating <laughs> it's okay. like if you if you show someone something and and they kind of make a scrunched up face and then you're like, so you see this part here is like, that's his blade. And then this leading down here, you know, this was, and it's going to be like, it's going to have this chainsaw action. And you're like, no, nah, that's, that should be evident. And if it's not, then you need to keep working on those abilities. Um, okay. And I think generally like as there's like an industry bar that's very high. It's like you finish your degree and then you keep working on your art skills for like a couple more years. And you really get to a point where you're not really thinking too heavily, too hard about like anatomy and rendering and expressing materials. And you've got all of that down to a level where you're, you're kind of being recognized. And, and I find it's an interesting thing where you'll feel like you're invisible to everyone until you reach a certain bar. And then suddenly everybody wants to, to commission you and everyone wants to, to, to know you and, and, and hire you and get you involved in stuff because you're, you're reaching that, that level and that level is really high, and it takes a long time. It, for me, it took super long. I think, you know, I was getting to, I had had a few jobs, which I learned a lot about efficiency and slowly building craft in animation. But it wasn't until I was about 30. And, and I went to school until I was about 26. So it was, it was a slow process for me. I think we have people who are better than me who are like 24, 25. But yeah, it wasn't until I was about 30 that I really felt confident in just my fundamental skills to the point where I was like, okay, I'm ready to apply for a job and, and learn the other parts of this trade um, mm -hmm. beyond just learning how to draw and how to paint uh, confidently. Um, cool. But I would say as well that when I think about craft skills or, or professional skills, I think being able to illustrate, which is really what that is, is just one component that I really look for and that actually your work ethic and your ability to communicate and collaborate with other people are just as important, if not more important than your, your craft skills. Because I feel like any deficiencies you might have in craft, like, oh, I'm not very good at drawing faces or I can't render materials very well or uh, my shape language is a little you know repetitive or derivative, that stuff is easy to teach. But if somebody has the wrong attitude, like they don't want to listen to feedback or they think they're always right or they're just like you know difficult to work with or they prioritize what they want over focusing on player needs mm -hmm. um then that stuff is very difficult to coach out of people in comparison and it is definitely more like if they have the right attitude i'm much more excited about that than if they have like the most phenomenal craft that i've ever seen right cool awesome <clears throat> we touched on um pretty much everything i wanted to talk about um yeah real quick because this is something i like to ask everyone uh what is your favorite let's not include silas because he's he just came out and you might be a little bi biased <laughs> uh what would you say your favorite champion is from three perspectives first from the visual perspective then your favorite champion in terms of like playing them and then last uh what concept is your favorite that is in league so far? 
<laughs> well, my my answer is the same for all three. It's Rumble. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. I was so I was like I, I think I know what he's gonna say, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I yeah, thought it was gonna man. be Zoe for at least one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Zoe's you know fun and all, but um, Rumble's the the greatest of all time. Such, I, I'm really excited about the opportunity, the perspective of reworking that champion. I don't. There's nothing like slated anytime mm-hmm. soon, but man, I want to be there when that happens because yeah. I think it's just one of the special things about League of Legends and one of my theories as to why it has such staying power is that as you play it, you develop relationships with the characters. Like they're they're there with you through the hard times and the good times and. Even someone like me that tends to jump around and play a lot of different champions, when you find one that kind of resonates with you in terms of your like philosophy or or your personality, they really kind of they earn a special place in your heart. And yeah, for me, it was definitely Rumble because he's like this little dumpster, like trash trash panda guy. Who, <laughs> he's like the underdog, right? He's even for a yodel, he's like runty in size. And he's not as smart as Heimerdinger. He's not as funny as Ziggs or whatever. He's he's not really good at anything. <laughs> and he built a mech out of junk that is just the worst looking mech I've ever seen. Um, and he took it, you know, to the rift to fight against these heroes because because he loves himself. Like he's he's like even though I might not be the best or the strongest or the smartest, um, I'm gonna use what I have to kind of carve out a little little piece of um little piece of infamy for myself and uh and then like his gameplay is so good I, I, he got kind of gutted with that change to the heat mechanism which mm-hmm. pretty unhappy about but he's a, a pretty effective lane bully uh he's a very difficult character to play so you know i said before i'm a johnny player like i like to flex on people with rumble to kind of prove to them you know it's like when you win with an op champion people are just like oh yeah well that champion's op like i don't feel good about winning games with the flavor of the month champions because you didn't really win you just exploited you know something that was powerful but if you win with a character that is like all skill like i also play like azir and fiddlesticks and stuff like that when you win with those characters you know you won because you're good (laughs) yeah it's uh, always a little sad um when you're playing a champion that previously wasn't very good and then all of a sudden they become very popular due to a buff or whatever happens in the meta and then people people will dump on you for playing that champion they're like oh you're only playing yeah. him because he's right. and you're like no i swear i love this champion. yeah yeah but but like you know like with rumble and stuff you know, or reworks you you stick with the champions you love through good times and bad and you take your lumps and um i feel <laughs> that way about rumble like i, I definitely as somebody that's like not really very gifted in terms of art or communication or like it's I'm definitely like I don't want to say that I suck at everything but (laughs) I'm someone that always felt pretty like low in my self-esteem and my ability but the one thing that I had was tenacity where a lot of other people you know they got other jobs and they kind of gave up and they they went different directions I was always like no I I want to do this. I'm not going to give up on it. And I was lucky enough to, you know, have a wife that supported me and a family that um, were supportive. And I just kept trying and trying until I finally, you know, got the job of my dreams. And then I see this little rumble dude and he's this little scrappy guy. And he's just like, you know, he's not strong or fast or cool, but he wants to be in the league. Um, that that kind of resonated with me in a deep way where it's like he became my avatar. And when we win games together, you know, we, we share that, excitement and like hell yeah we did it and uh when i when i drop sick rumble ults like a pro player like smeb rumble (laughs) ults i'm like yeah only i can do this because i only i've put in the hours and the time to really master this this difficult (laughs) champion um i think we touched about pretty much everything i wanted to talk about larry did you have anything you wanted to add no man no just looking over our talking points yeah we did touch on a lot of uh a lot of things and thank you sunny for for coming on uh and we can and talk a little bit more Jared. about silas if you'd like to I, I feel like we talked a lot about being a concept artist but yeah sure um, so that that actually does lead to the other thing um let's see here we have i guess two questions from the chat uh and we'll we'll go in order uh there is 
uh, talking about like releasing concept art, why would we like kind of have a small embargo on releasing concept art for a champion that's just been released? I don't. I have. I have my reasons, but from a concept or that I know of, but from a concept uh, perspective, why, why, why do you think that is? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, me personally, right? Um, I told you about how I, was, I saw Doug Chang's concept art and I wanted to see more of it. And it was really hard to find a lot of it online and a lot of people's folios. It's just like this nice polished finish artwork. You don't get to actually see the real meat and potatoes of being a concept artist, which is all this iterative design. Um, but at the same time, like when you're working professionally for a company, everything you're creating belongs to them. And we have to think about how to responsibly use that stuff in a way that is going to feel best for players. And a lot of that time, a lot of the time, the reason we don't want to release early concept art is because it's not indicative of the final product. Sometimes some people may look at it and be like, I like that better than what actually shipped. And now I feel bad because I want that. Whereas before they had seen it, they, you know, there's got nothing to compare it to and it's fine. Um, another reason is that we might actually go back and use some of those ideas that we didn't use this time on future products. Um, mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that that's still an exciting surprise and really cool uh, when it happens. And, and and I understand, like, if I was just still a player, I would disagree with that. And I'd be like, no, I just want to see it all. Like, I don't, I don't care about being surprised or disappointed. I just really want to understand this process better and see it all. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that those are very good reasons when we, when we think of, when you talk about being like a player focused company that holistically the, um, the benefit doesn't outweigh the cost or the risk involved in mm -hmm. releasing some of that early developmental stuff. Um, but what we do is after a champion's release, we kind of go through it and we'll kind of, I'll, I'll share it with the, the promo team and get it checked to see if there's like, there's always a chunk that we can release of stuff that is kind of shows the leading towards the final product um, that we can kind of look at and be like, you know what, this stuff is okay. Like I have this sketchbook and I actually wanted to donate it to the uh, Penny Arcade every year. They have like a charity auction and they auction off rare items and they raise money for charity and i wanted to donate my sketchbook one year unfortunately i had some stuff in there that was like some ideas for a champion on a few pages the rest of it was all like skins concepts that we've shipped then but there was a few pages in there of um, some champion idea stuff that might be made in the future and so i can't donate that book because some of some of that stuff hasn't actually come to be yet and and we've got to hold on to it Gotcha. So there's so, so, so there's future impact that that teams have to kind of be aware of uh, and evaluate before just just kind of sharing all of the all the goodies as you would might say. Yeah, and it's still about like weighing the, the the cost and the benefit as well. It's like if I just want to put this stuff on my art station to to show how cool I am, like we mm -hmm. shouldn't be doing that. Um, mm -hmm. That that's kind of putting our, our own ego before like the players' needs and riot and stuff like but if if we generally believe that we have like a collection of stuff that's not going to have any sort of negative impact but is going to be really interesting and insightful like the dev blogs mm -hmm. that we do um mm -hmm. then then we figure out what that that stuff is package it up and and share it cool. um support karthus we are going to come back to that a little bit sunny touched on that uh in the program just just a hint or two um so we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh el tonto his question uh well it was a little it was a little blunt uh he doesn't like or sorry they they don't like the um uh the, the skin <laughs> for silas the the launch skin um and particularly if i understand correctly it's very much the what do you what 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 would what would i say it's the theme around it it just doesn't like why did we pick lunar rebel uh or is it called no what is uh lunar wraith lunar wraith silas as a theme for um his launch skin when you know thematically it seems like there's a, a really easy win with the classic ball and chain prisoner you know uh concept or design would uh, could we talk about that i'm not 100 percent sure i'm gonna lean on your expertise here yeah, of course. I, I think okay. it's good to set up expectations for future champions as well. Uh, we're trying something new right now, which <laughs> will immediately become evident, which is to fit the launch skins into the events that are happening. 
around the time that the champion launched his. So in the past, we've kind of looked at launch skins for champions as being like, well, what's like a cool alternate fantasy for this champion that helps to describe and explain what this character, who this character is? And in that scenario, like I think that classic ball and chain would have been a great choice because people see it and they go, oh, we get the, it's, a, it's a prisoner. We get the idea. Um, and I think that's pretty good as well because we can build on that in the future and deliver future exciting skins. But um, what we're trying right now is uh, more of like a cohesive promotional strategy throughout the year where um, instead of champions and skins and events in esports kind of competing for your attention, we try to um, bring some harmony to those those different things that are happening and, and kind of tie them together. So you'll see that all the launch skins this year are actually going to be part of the skin patch that's dropping at the same time um and so for silas who's coming out at lunar revel it, it needed to be a lunar revel skin and with that constraint we were kind of like well his turn doesn't really fit in with the other characters that are like very kind of upbeat and fun like they've got the year of the pig thing in there and we could have done a funny skin but my personal philosophy is that the first the launch skin of a champion shouldn't be like a jokey one because we want it's the only skin that they're going to have for a while so we want to make sure it's one that kind of like appeals to everyone and we know that a lot of players just <laughs> don't like goofy skins when we do them like the, some people love them and then everyone else is kind of like oh why did you make this <laughs> why does <laughs> Pugmore why but um, <laughs> I love Pugmore why, yeah <laughs> Yeah, but that wasn't um, his launch skin, so... Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's but, but when we when we looked at the other kind of uh, Lunar Rebel thematics that we had, we had Lunar Wraith, and we had, like, the Warring Kingdoms one, which could have been cool as well, but, um, yeah, we, we eventually decided on... Out of the themes that we had, Lunar Wraith seemed like the most appropriate one for Silas, because we got a chance to show him as, like, this soul-stealing, like, vampire... Uh, which ties into some themes in, in Chinese culture around their vampires. And we thought that the soul stealing was a good metaphor for his alt copying abilities, like draining enemies of their spirit. All right, before we get too far into the uh, Q&A, let's end the official part of the episode off, and then we can uh, go right into it on the on the stream. So again, thank you, Sonny, for joining us today. Um, Sonny is a concept artist at Riot Games. He worked on Silas, and he spent the better part of um, an hour and a half taking his time to answer our questions. So I appreciate him coming out. If you want to follow him, his Twitter handle is at Kindlejack. Uh, there'll be links down in the description and all over the place where you can follow him. And uh, again, Larry is also here and he is pretty much going to be constantly here. He's my co-host and he's, he's co-producer on the show. So thanks for coming out again. Also Larry. Um, and I want to, set up expectations for the future of this show. We're going to be having some more guests on, not necessarily all from Riot, but uh, some pretty cool people coming on in the future. So if you're interested in that, give the stream a follow or give the YouTube channel a follow wherever you're watching from. And uh, thanks again, guys, for coming out. And I appreciate everyone who took the time to help make